Well, today we're going to continue our series, our doctrine series, talking about what we believe. And we're going to talk about the doctrine of salvation. Now, let's be honest. We talk about salvation every week here at Thomas Road. And in fact, if we didn't, we'd kind of be wasting our time in getting together. We talk about the gospel every week. But today we're going to kind of dig in a little deeper and talk about what the gospel is and why it's so important. Kind of the the doctrinal, the theological basis for uh, this idea of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But before we jump into that, I I want to share with you uh, our doctrinal statement here at Thomas Road Baptist church, uh, talking about like what we believe and why we believe it here as a church. And so it says this, we affirm that each person can be saved only through the work of Jesus Christ, through repentance of sin and by faith alone in him as savior. It goes on to say the believer is declared righteous, born again by the Holy Spirit, turned from sin and assured of heaven. The next statement, we affirm that the Holy Spirit indwells all who are born again, conforming them to the likeness of Jesus Christ. And finally, it says this is a process completed only in heaven. Every believer is responsible to live in obedience to the word of God in separation from sin. The idea of salvation, the idea uh, literally of being made right with God is something that is, is pivotal in everything that we talk about here at Thomas Road and churches all across the globe. It's why this group of students from North Korea are so passionate about reaching those in their, for, their, their home country. It's because this message makes all the difference. This message of the gospel, this message of salvation is such an important part. Now that word salvation comes from a Greek word. And it's a Greek word of where we get our word soteriology, which is the study of or the doctrine of salvation. And it comes from this Greek word. And the first one is this, it's soteria, which literally means to cure or to provide recovery or to rescue. And there really is encompassed the entire idea of salvation. It's as if every one of us is like hanging over the edge of a cliff. We're starting to fall. We know there's nothing that we can do to get back to the edge ourselves. There's nothing we can grab a hold of or hang on to that's going to save us. And so we desperately need someone to provide recovery, to rescue us, and to cure us. That is where that word soteria uh, comes from. The word salvation comes from is from that idea. Now, the idea, the study of, or the doctrine of salvation, soteriology, the last part of that word, of course, is where we get, it comes from the word uh, logos, which means word, which means this. The idea is to truly understand the idea and the doctrine of salvation. It is not something that you can get from a denomination or from a church or from some other book or from some other teaching. It has to come from the word. And what is the word? That is the word of God. That is the Bible. That's the only place that we can truly find what we need to know about this idea of salvation. And so today what I want to do is just kind of walk us through uh, some interesting ideas, some thoughts about salvation, what it is, what it means, why it's important. And the first thing we must recognize is this idea of the truth about salvation. But before we kind of jump into that, here's what I want to kind of set the stage for today. And set in our hearts and our context of what we're going to hear, what we're going to talk about, is understanding that in this room today, there are really four groups of people. Four groups of people that are gathered in this room. Now, the first group is a group that are, are believers, they're followers of Christ, they're Christians, and, and they made a decision, whether it's like, you know, decades and decades ago, or maybe whether it was kind of recent, and you've made that decision to believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died and that he rose again, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him, but... While you've made that decision, you've, you've been given the promise and the assurance of heaven, it's like not that big of a deal anymore to you. 
Like it's something you did. It was a transaction that you made. And, and man, you, you, you know you're saved. And that's awesome. And that's great. You know, you believe in God. You believe that Jesus died, that he rose again. Like you get all of that. But you're just kind of living your life without that really making an impact on a daily basis. That, that's group one. The second group is a group that Mitch is not sure. Like they've heard the gospel. They kind of know a little bit about it. They, you know, they've heard sermons about it. Maybe they've read books about it. They've, you know, kind of heard stories about it. But to be honest with you, they're like, like not really sure. And maybe, you know, because they're not really sure, they're trying to really work their way into this thing of salvation, trying to work hard and be good and, you know, try to do nice things for people and, you know, trying to be a good person showing up at church. And, and maybe they're, you know, going out and helping their neighbors and, you know, getting involved in other uh, opportunities around the community, around the world, even to, to help people. And so like, like really working hard, you know, for this idea and this hope and this promise of heaven. That's, that's group, group two. And then there's group three. Now, group three is a group that just says, listen, this whole thing about the gospel, like I have no use for it whatsoever. Not interested in it. It sounds bogus to me. It sounds like a scam to me. I don't want to have anything to do with this idea, this picture of the gospel. I don't want anything to do with it. That, that's, that's group three. And to be honest with you, there's probably some people sitting in this room or, or watching that might be in that group. And then there's the fourth group. And that fourth group are those who are followers of Christ, who've trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. And like, man, they are on fire. They are locked in. They love this, this whole idea, the picture of the gospel. Now, for that last group, here's what I need you to do. I need you for the next 20 minutes and 46 seconds to pray for the other three groups. Because I've been praying this week that God would use what we're going to talk about today to speak directly to the first three groups and that he would do an amazing work in this room. We had nine in the first service who made a decision to trust Christ. And I'm praying for that to be multiplied here today. And so for that fourth group, I want you to be praying that God would do a great work in these next few moments as we talk about the truth about, about salvation. Now, the first truth that we want to talk about is just simply this, is that for all of us here today, everyone is in need of salvation. Like there's never been a person that has ever been born that does not need salvation. And it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. It doesn't matter how good you are, how good you think you are. It doesn't matter what church you go to. It doesn't matter whether you're a Baptist or a Catholic. It doesn't matter if you are a Presbyterian or a Methodist. It doesn't matter if you're a Buddhist or a Mormon. It does not matter who you are. Every person who has ever been born on the face of the earth, ever in the history of the past or, or in the future that will be born, every single one of us is in desperate need of salvation. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says this, there is none righteous, no, not one. Now understand, this comes from Romans chapter 3, it's from God's word. God's word is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God, breathed out by God. God wrote these words and here's what God has declared about you. You are not righteous. You are not good enough. You do not have what it takes. You cannot be good enough to be in my presence. I'm a holy God. I cannot tolerate sin. You, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, you are a sinner who have fallen short of the glory of God. You do not deserve the right to be in my presence. And that is what the God of the universe has declared over every single one of us. That's a pretty condemning statement, isn't it? There's none righteous, no, not one. Every single one of us that has ever been born is in desperate need of salvation. And the second truth about salvation is this, that no one can accomplish this thing on our own. We can't accomplish salvation on what we do. 
We can't work hard enough. We can't be good enough. We can't be nice enough. We can't love enough people. We can't serve enough. We can't show up at church enough. We can't sing in the choir enough. We can't volunteer in the nursery enough. We can't work in the parking lot enough. We can't help our neighbors enough. We can't do anything enough to earn our right to be a Christian, a follower of Christ. No one can accomplish this thing on our own. We go back to scripture in Acts chapter four, verse 12. It says this, nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name. And that means your name. It means my name. You can't follow a person. You can't follow a church. You can't join a church and find salvation. It does not come from there. It comes from Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Acts chapter 16 tells us this. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The answer, they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. This this picture, this story that we have here is the idea that all of us, because none of us are, are good enough, we can't get there on our own, and every single one of us that we desperately need salvation, that's a, the present position that we're in. And this is the idea that there is a penalty for what we've done. No one can accomplish salvation on our own. And so everyone's in need of it. No one can accomplish it on our own. The third one is this, is there must be payment for our sin. Every single one of us are sinners from the moment that you were born. Before you were born, you had a sinful nature. All of us are sinners. We talked about that a moment ago. And as a result of that, in order to be made right with God, there has to be a payment for our sin. We go back to scripture. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. It says, according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There has to be a payment. And the only payment that can be made for the sins that we commit is the shedding of blood. You go back into the Old Testament over and over again. We see uh, at the, the temple and the tabernacle where they had to sacrifice animal after animal after animal. I mean, it was incredible. All of the things that they had to do from morning to night to sacrifice those animals, to shed the blood of those animals as payment for, sacrifice for the sins of the people. And it was something that was required. God said, this must be done. And so Hebrews chapter 9 tells us that, that because of what we experience, because of our sin, in order to find forgiveness, in order to find salvation, that there has to be a payment, and that payment has to come through blood. And so we see here, every single one of us is in need of salvation. We can never accomplish it on our own. There has to be a payment for our sin. And finally, in this idea of the truth about salvation, we see this, is that only Jesus can accomplish that payment. Only Jesus can do what we need. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and following, it says this, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. You ought to underline that statement there. Who desires all men to be saved. That's such an important truth. Because what it tells us is this, is that there's never been a person born, there's not a person alive, and there will never be a person who will be born for whom God does not desire to find salvation. It is available to all who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now listen to this next part of the passage. It says this, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. This statement here, that there's one God and one mediator between God and man. Why do we need a mediator between God and us? Here's why. Because God is a holy God. 
God is a perfect God. God cannot tolerate the presence of sin. God cannot allow us to step into the presence of heaven for all of eternity if there was not a mediator that would make us right with God. And so what makes us right with God? Is it serving? Is it showing up at church? Is it being a Baptist or a Methodist or a Pentecostal or whatever it might be? No, that mediator comes to one person and that person is this, the man, Christ Jesus. Only Jesus can accomplish this picture, this idea of mediation between God and man. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. There's nothing that you can do to be good enough. There's nothing that you can read. There's nothing that you can buy. There's not enough money that you can have. There's not a degree that you could earn. Nothing that you could ever do that would provide the role of mediator between God and man except for the man Christ Jesus. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to pay that penalty, to pay that price. Once and for all, a ransom for every single one of us to pay that penalty and to pay that price for you and me. And so that's an understanding of like the truth about salvation, like what salvation is, why it's so important. But let's continue to walk through and let's just kind of look at the, some of the doctrinal ideas of salvation. Like what really is it? What does it mean? Like how does it work? Like, like what is this whole thing about? And so as we talk about like, what is salvation, there's four uh, ideas, four words, four statements that I want to give to you today. Now, there's a lot of other words I could give to you, a lot of other definitions that we could walk through, but there's really kind of four key themes, key components to this idea of salvation. And the first word is this, the word belief. The word belief. In other words, we have to believe that Jesus is God's son. We have to believe that he died and that he rose again. Romans chapter 10 tells us that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 14 tells us that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in the first few verses there, it tells us that. We have to believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died and that he rose again. And when you look at that word belief, there are two components of that belief. But we go back to our doctrinal statement, and here's what it says in this part about belief. We affirm that each person can be saved only through the work of Jesus Christ through, and here it is, the repentance of sin and by faith alone in Him as Savior. There's three components here. The first one we've already talked about. It can only be coming through the work of Jesus Christ. That's, we've already talked about that. The second two components here, through repentance of sin and by faith alone in Him as Savior. Repentance and faith. And those are the two components of belief. To believe that Jesus is God's son, to believe that he died and that he rose again, there are two components. The first one is repentance. The idea of repentance really is nothing more than the idea of doing a complete 180, of turning completely from one thing and turning towards another. The turning towards is the idea of faith. The turning from is the idea of repentance. And so you see the statement, repentance of sin. You see the scripture we talked about a few moments ago in repentance of sin. What is that sin? What is it we must repent of in order to come to Christ? We hear the gospel of Jesus Christ to make a decision, a rational, uh, intellectual decision to believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died and that he rose again. We must repent of sin. And the sin that we must repent of is this, the sin of not believing in Jesus. We go back to Jesus' own words. 
In John chapter 16, verse 8 and 9, it says this, And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. These were Jesus' words in John chapter 16. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit who's going to come. You understand the last few weeks we've talked about the different roles of, of the, the different members of the Trinity here. And so Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he, the Holy Spirit, will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. So what does Jesus say that is the sin that we must be convicted of? The sin of not believing in Jesus. And so the idea of believing in and coming to the gospel picture and salvation means that we have to, in one place, that we as sinners walking away from God, not believing, not, you know, not followers of Christ, not children of God, that we are in this position and that we are rejecting Jesus as the Son of God. We're rejecting Jesus, that he died and that he rose again. And that is a sin according to God's word, according to what Jesus said. And so what must happen is this, is that we must repent of that sin. And remember what is repenting? It's turning, doing a 180. So we must repent of the sin of rejecting Christ, of not believing in Christ, and saying, I reject that, and I turn towards and believe in Christ. And so that is the repentance of sin that must take place. The second part, the second component of belief is the word faith. John chapter 6, verse 29, it says this, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Who is it that God sent? And that's Jesus Christ. We must believe in him. John chapter 6, verse 35, it says this, and Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. It goes on to say in John chapter 6, verse 47, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. What does God's word say? God's word says, by having faith in Jesus Christ, believing in him, we are guaranteed what? It's a pop quiz. What are we guaranteed? Everlasting life. Jesus himself said this. You repent of rejecting Christ. You turn towards believing in Christ through faith. And that faith gets us to the place where we now believe that Jesus is the son of God who died, who rose again, and that he and he alone can save us from our sins. The first component of salvation is belief. Two components of it, repentance and faith. The second component we talk about is the next process of salvation here. And that's the word justification. Now, justification is a legal term. It's the idea of literally being declared innocent or, or declared righteous, declared like, like, like you are not guilty anymore, like you have been made. It literally is a legal term. Now, we go back to our doctrinal statement. Our doctrinal statement says this. The believer is declared righteous. Also legal words here. Kind of the idea that if you had the situation where in your life that you had a, uh, an issue with the police and you got accused of a crime and you're taken before the judge and that judge holds your future in his hands, whether you're going to go to jail or whether you're going to be set free. And he hears all the evidence against you. He hears all the story and, and the, the prosecutor's making all of the, you know, the case. And then this person did this and this and this and this. And, and they deserve to be locked up. They deserve to pay the penalty. They deserve to pay the payment for what you've done. This is what they deserve. But yet that judge looks at you and he picks up that gavel and he slaps it down on the desk. And he says, no, I declare you innocent and I set you free. 
That is the idea of justification. That is the picture of the fact of being declared righteous before God. Romans chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This statement, having been justified, having been declared righteous. It goes on to say, Uh, In verse 2, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In verse 1, we have been declared righteous. We have been declared legally. Yes, they're a part of the family. Yes, they're a child of God. Here at Thomas Road, we've got a great ministry. A ministry to uh, foster families and to foster kids and to adoptive families. We call it Journey Home. And it's something where we've been doing for quite a while, where we've been actually you know, connecting families with, with young people in our community that desperately need a, a safe place to live. And many times, foster situations lead to, you know, to, to adoption. And so you sit there and you bring in a foster child into your home and, and man, you just love this child and you're taking care of that child and everything's going great. And man, they just bring joy to your heart. And that, that kid is just an awesome kid doing incredible things. And, and you come to the decision one day, you, you know, I want to adopt this child. I want this child to actually be my child. And so you sit there, you make the declaration, I want them to be my child. You talk about, I want them to be, you know, my responsibility. I want to be able to call them son or daughter. I want them to be able to call me mom or dad. Like, this is what I want. And maybe that kid is so excited, like, yes, I want to be that. Man, I, I want to I do that, and I'll be really good. I'm not going to steal any cookies from the cookie jar, and I'm going to clean my room, and, and man, I'm going to be really sweet, and, and man, I'll do whatever mom and dad you want me to do, and I'll do all the chores and, and all that stuff. And you can have all of that going both ways, where, where the child and the mom and the dad, everything is going great, and they love each other, and they're helping one another, and it's the happiest place in the world. But here's what's true. That child is actually not going to be legally a part of that family until one thing happens. And that is when a judge and whatever process that the state that you're in, whatever process that goes through until a judge finally actually says, I declare this adoption is final. It's done. It's complete. And only until that happens legally does that child become the actual member of that family. That is what justification is all about. Man, we can do all the right stuff. Man, you can be sweet. You can be kind. You can show up at the church. You can work in the nursery. You can change diapers till the cows come home over there. You can do whatever it is that you want to do to be nice and kind and good Christian and helping good people and helping doing all the kind of loving people. Man, that's awesome. Yes, I want to do that. But until you have been declared righteous by Jesus Christ, the one mediator between God and man, until that justification takes place, nothing is final. You are not a child of God until that moment. That's what justification is. That legal statement of being declared righteous. And remember, who is righteous according to God's word? None. So in other words, it's not up to you. It's up to God. It's the work that he does. So we got two words here, belief and justification. The third word is this, and this is a a process that begins at the moment that you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that is this, sanctification. Sanctification. In other words, that word literally means to be set apart. 
Like, like a process of being made holy, a process of working to become more like Christ. We go back to our doctrinal statement. What does it say? That we are born again by the Holy Spirit, turned from, remember, the 180 turned from sin. We affirm that the Holy Spirit indwells all who are born again, conforming them to the likeness of Jesus Christ. It goes on to say, every believer is responsible to live in obedience to the Word of God in separation from sin. Now, this is an important distinction. Because what this tells us is this, is that no, when you come to Christ and you make that decision, I believe, right? So we are, we are rejecting the idea that we reject Christ. We're turning, a repentance, returning from that to believe through faith that Jesus is God's son, that he died and that he rose again. So we take that belief step. And then when we take that belief step, God takes that justification step and makes us righteous with God. And then the third step, sanctification, that's the process that begins. Now, here's the cool thing. The cool thing is this, is sanctification is not required in order to be justified. In other words, God takes you right where you are. You don't have to show up all clean and fixed. You don't have to show up with all your problems put away with. You don't have to show up like having done all the right stuff. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be sinless. You don't have to be blameless. And thank God, because not a one of us are. And so we recognize that this picture of salvation, this element of salvation, sanctification, is the work that begins at the moment of justification, at the moment that we come to Christ. It begins that journey, and that's what God, through His Son, the whole, through uh, His Holy Spirit, that Jesus promised would come, that the Holy Spirit then begins to do the work. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Pop quiz again. What's the will of God? Come on, people. It's right there on the screen. What is the will of God? Your sanctification. In other words, your holiness, being set apart, becoming more like Christ today than you were yesterday. First Thessalonians chapter 5 says this. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say perfect. It says blameless. What is blameless? It means this. Even as followers of Christ, we will continue to sin because we live in an imperfect world. Because we have a sinful nature, we will continue to blow it and make mistakes. But 1 John 1, 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is the process of being called blameless. That from the commission of the sin, that there's a very brief time to the confession of the sin. That when we mess up, that we instantly recognize it because of the Holy Spirit's conviction work in our heart. And we quickly come, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. And then we are declared blameless. That's the process of sanctification. That is what God wants to do in each and every one of us. And so there's belief. And there's justification, being declared righteous. Sanctification, being made holy over time. And then there's the fourth component we'll talk about. It's the word glorification. Glorification. We go back to our doctrinal statement. It says this, and assured of heaven, this is a process completed only in heaven. Assured of heaven. Know this, that when you become a child of God, when you believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died, that he rose again, through that belief process of, of not rejecting Christ anymore, now believing in faith in Christ, and now being justified, declared righteous by God, and now walking through that sanctification process, recognize this, that the gift that you have been given, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, is this, while you deserve death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God has given you that hope that we have. We go back to Romans chapter 5, verses 1, 
1 and 2 that we read a moment ago. And it says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But listen to this last statement. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And here's the statement. And rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What is the hope of the glory of God? Eternity in a real place called heaven. In a place that God has prepared for us. Jesus himself said, I go to prepare a place for you. Revelation chapter 21 says it's a place where there is no more pain and no more sorrow and no more tears and no more death. A place where everything has been made new. Now the opposite of that is a very real place called hell. Matthew chapter 25, Revelation chapter 20 talks about the lake of fire. That all of those who are not believers have not come to this process of salvation. That they will spend an eternity with Satan himself there in permanent, eternal persecution and punishment for our sin and for our rejection of Christ. And see, there's two options here. There's eternity in hell or eternity in heaven. Glorification is a picture of this. We have hope in the glory of God. What an incredible gift. In John chapter three, and I'm going to close with this today, passage that probably most of us in this room are pretty familiar with. In John chapter 3, it says this in verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That the world through him might be saved. The important thing we must understand about salvation is this. God desperately wants us to come to him. God desperately wants us to spend eternity with him. And we can work our hearts out. We can do all the things that people say we're supposed to do. We can follow the, the, follow the teachings of Buddha. We can follow the teachings of Islam. We can come up with the scales. And like, as long as I do better over here, you know, I do more good things than I do bad things, and I'll work my way to heaven. All of that stuff is bogus. The only thing that matters and true is this. Is it only through believing in Jesus Christ that he is the son of God, that he died and that he rose again, turning from rejecting Christ and turning towards faith in Christ. That is the only way we will have the gift and the hope of heaven for eternity. It's the only way we'll have eternal life. Now I told you at the beginning of this sermon that there were four groups of people in this room. And so as we come to the end of this time together, I want to go back to those four groups for a moment. Remember the first group, right? The first group that are followers of Christ. It was a transaction that was part of your journey, part of your life going back. And like, man, it was a big deal and you're excited because you, you know, you've been given the key to heaven and you're not going to lose that key. You've got an air tag on a tile. I mean, you know where it is. You can't lose it, right? You've got it. That's awesome. That's incredible. But man, that whole thing of salvation, it's like not that big a deal anymore. The second group, man, you're just not sure. You're trying to do all the right stuff. You're trying to be good. You're trying to be kind. You're trying to be nice. You're trying to work your way. And man, you're, you're wearing yourself out because you want to make sure you end up in heaven. The third group, no interest whatsoever. Like I've heard it, no thanks. For any of you in those first three groups, here's what I want you to get. Here's what I want you to understand. Whether you're in the first group where salvation is like a thing that you did, it's not that big of a deal anymore. Listen, it's a big deal. 
And there's a world around you that is dying and literally going to hell because they do not know Christ, because you don't think it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Today, you need to repent of the sin in your heart of not recognizing the gift and the power of the salvation that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. For group two and group three, listen to me. What I've shared with you today is this. A picture that God loves you. That God loves you with a love that I don't even understand. He loves you in a way that you can't understand. Loves you in a way that just doesn't make sense because of our sin. And that love has driven him to the place of making a provision, making a way, making an opportunity for you to come to the moment where you just simply say, okay, I get it. I've been rejecting Christ, but today it's over. I am repenting, turning from my rejection of Christ. And I believe in faith. Jesus is the son of God, that he died and that he rose again. Today, if you're in groups two and three, I'm just telling you, that today, life and death hangs in the balance. We're not promised tomorrow. Life could end for you today. And I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm not trying to scare somebody into making a decision. I'm just giving you reality. And if you're here in that second or the third group, what I want to do right now is what I believe firmly that God wants me to do. Got to be honest with you. I've been praying this week for groups two and three. Because when you think of groups two and three, here's what I know. It could be people that have never walked in this room before, or it could be people that have been here for decades. It could be deacons. It could be ushers. It could be Sunday school teachers. Man, doing all the right stuff. But they've never really come to that place. So I'm going to pray this prayer. And as I pray this prayer, I'm just going to ask you wherever you are in this room or whether you're watching on television or listening on radio, I'm just going to ask you today to pray this prayer with me in this moment. Silently from your heart to God's. Finally getting it right and making the decision that will change not only your day, but will change your eternity according to God's word. So would you pray with me? with heads bowed and with eyes closed. And if you've never prayed this prayer, I just want you to silently pray this prayer along with me right now. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've blown it. I've messed up time and time again. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Today, I turn from rejecting Christ And through faith, I believe that Jesus is your son, that he died and that he rose again. So forgive me of my sin. Save me today through your son, Jesus. And help me to live for you for the rest of my life as you give me the power to do it. Thank you, God, for saving me. With their heads bowed and with their eyes closed, no one looking around. I just want to ask you around this room to just be really, really honest right now. No one looking around. I'm just going to ask you a question. Today, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it from your heart to God's, I'm just going to ask you wherever you are, 
Don't, don't be embarrassed. Like there's nothing to be ashamed of. Like this is like the coolest thing ever. The Bible says there's rejoicing in heaven when something like this happens. And so like this is a big deal and it's a great deal. If you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, would you just wherever you are in this room, just slip your hand up right now. Boldly slip your hand up right now. Boldly, slip, keep it up. Boldly slip your hand up. Nothing to be ashamed of. It's exciting. It's awesome. It's incredible. I see hands all over the room. I see hands all over. That's beautiful. Now keep your hands up. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Again, no one's looking around, but here's what I want you to do. If you would for me. Like today, like, like heaven has been assured, guaranteed for you. That's awesome. We're going to hang out in heaven for eternity. It's going to be cool. It's going to be great. But here's what I want you to do. If you're raising your hand, if you prayed that prayer, wherever you are in this room, I just want you just briefly, I want to pray for you. I just want you to stand up wherever you are right now. Just stand up. Be brave. Be bold. I see your hand. I already know who you are. You're not pulling anything over on me. Like just stand up wherever you are. Stand up right now. In the back, I saw two hands right in the back wall. Go ahead and stand up. Stand up wherever you are. Just stand up. Be brave. Stand up. I want to pray over you. Just stand up wherever you are in the room. I see a lot in the back, in the back uh, aisle there. Guys, guys over here. In the back, there's like four or five back there. Yep, awesome. There's three or four over there. In the balcony, just stand up wherever you are. Just stand up. Now, I want to pray for you right now. Father, today there are people standing in this room who are standing up for you, who are making the declaration in their lives that they believe that Jesus is your son, that he died and that he rose again. Today, heaven is erupting in praise because of the decisions made. God, we rejoice in this moment. God, we are so thrilled at what you've done. God, I pray that you would strengthen them and encourage them and guide them and lead them. Lord, give them everything that they need in this moment and in the moments to come to just see how amazing this gift of the gospel really is. Thank you, God, for the salvation work that you've done in this room. Lord, I pray for every one of us here, God, that we would be so passionate about what you have done through the gift of your son, Jesus, that we would go out and we would just tell everybody, this is what salvation looks like. Thank you, God, for the work that you've done. Guys, with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, we're gonna close the service. We have team members that are all around the room. Today, if you want to come and kneel here and pray alone or pray with someone, we'd love to do that. If you want to grab one of our team members and talk with them on the way out, that's awesome. But listen to me, and I want you to hear me. Salvation is the greatest gift that God has ever given to any of us. And while we had 13 or 14 here in this room that stood up a moment ago, that's awesome, that's great. But I want you to know, if you walk out of this room today, and you didn't make the decision that you know that you need to make. And by the way, the words that I gave you today, they're not my words, it comes from God. Like you can ignore what I say, but don't ignore what God says. God wants you to spend eternity with him. And so if you walk out of here today and you didn't make that decision, when you get to your car, I want you to use that steering wheel as an altar and just say, God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Jesus is the one who can save me. He died and he rose again. Forgive me, I believe, save me today. And let this be the first day of an eternity in the presence of a holy God. God bless you and have a great day. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. 
Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.